If there are features in your product that the customer doesn't care about, get rid of them. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn a unique way to get an appointment with a retail buyer, how to mold your product to improve your product market fit, and how to keep the momentum going after a successful crowdfunding campaign. Today, I'm joined by Elad Burko from Paper Wallet. Paper Wallet has sold well over 100,000 one-of-a-kind wallets and other accessories for men and women using a vegan-friendly smart material called Tyvek. It was started in 2007 and based out of New York. Welcome. Thank you, Felix. Pleasure to meet you. Yes, likewise. So you've always had a fascination for how things worked. You've always been disassembling it, up things that you found. You had an artistic and creative home. But you consider yourself the least artistically talented, so you instead you focus your attention on, on business. What were some of the early things you did to combine your love for art and this creativity with building a business? I mean, really early on, when I was really young, I was, I was all into cars. I just loved cars. I was able to, like I'm talking about maybe two or three years old. I don't remember it, but my parents tell me this story. And I was able to just buy the design of the car, buy the shape of the car, know what it was, what the make, what the model and all of that. So it was really about the, the, the little details in design from a very early age that, that caught my eye. Um, and then jumping into business, I mean, um, I went, when, when CD burners first came out in the nineties and I was in high school, um, it was Napster and CD burners. And I was, uh, basically just burning electro music that I was downloading from Napster that was non-existent in the U S bringing it over basically from Europe creating cds this of course totally illegal a high schooler not not knowing what he's doing this is like the this is like the iconic like entrepreneurship high school thing that almost it's, it's so funny that this wasn't like a like a course that everyone entrepreneur took and all of a sudden knew to burn cds yeah. to, to make money but it was almost like everywhere people were realizing hey there's a way to make money doing this in high school and it's always funny whenever you hear an entrepreneur like yourself talking about this that it's like something that lots of entrepreneurs did. What what, what gave you the idea? For me, for me, it was I, I love this music that I've never heard about, and I just wanted to share it with my friends. So I shared it, and they loved it, and they wanted more. And then I had to figure out a way to get get more of it um, at a cheap enough price that I wasn't buying and importing CDs from Europe, and that was how it all started. But uh, slowly, slowly it got there. And the design element comes in because I didn't just want to give them, you know, these, you, you go to a store or you used to be able to go to a store and buy a CD and now those days are gone. But the, the, the CDs and the packaging and everything was designed so beautifully. And I was, I didn't want to just have one of those CDs that are silver or with like the logo of the company on it. And it just, it didn't, it was, it was beautiful music. It was art in that it, the music was amazing and I loved it. I wanted to share it, but the CD just wasn't the right packaging. And what I did was I ended up like buying and figuring out how to print and doing custom art for the CDs. And that was the layer of design on top of this product that I wanted to share with my friends at high school. Got it. So usually this kind of entrepreneurial spirit 
comes in in high school, middle school, but then it goes dormant when the rest of your life kind of catches up to you. Did that happen to you before you really started to, to figure out, okay, where can I actually start building a more, you know, a larger, more legitimate business? Or did you always kind of start businesses throughout your journey until you got to Paper Wallet? I think I, I, I wouldn't even call it businesses. I, I, I'm a creator and no matter at what point of my life, uh, I was constantly creating. At a certain point, I realized, okay, I got to make some money. How do I make money out of the things I love to do? How do I make money out of the creations, out of my creativity? And that's where it kind of got to. But just to answer your question, in the beginning, it was the CDs, and then it did go dormant. And the reason it goes dormant is because you have this infrastructure of you got to go to college, mm-hmm. and you have to learn certain things, and you're in the system, and it it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, uh, it's not a good environment. All of your time is taken up learning something very specific. In my case, I went to Baruch College and I studied entrepreneurship, but still I didn't have the time and energy to do other things because my focus was let's go to school, let's have good grades, let's finish this, and then I can do something else. And then out of college, I ended up going to work in private equity for a few years. And only after that, I said, you know what, let's see what I'm worth. Let's try a business. And take it there. So as an entrepreneur, you definitely have those ups and downs um, because life takes you in di- to different places. Right. And you said you're constantly create. you're always constantly creating things. And then you decided, how can I make money out of these things I do? And I think it's a situation that a lot of creatives, a lot of creators are stuck in where they have this passion for art, for creativity, but then they don't know how to turn it into a way to sustain themselves, turn into a living. What do you see people kind of slip up here that, that maybe you were able to figure, figure out in terms of turning your creative passions into a business? One of the strongest, one of the one of the best things that I've done when I decided to start my business was I reduced the the non essentials in my life um, because a business it's hard to start a business and it takes a lot of money and living takes a lot of money just as well and you need to be able to say okay if I'm going to focus on this I need to cut back on other things in life and I was able to do that very well very efficiently and saying. Let's give this thing 110%, which means I had to, to cut away from the luxuries in life so that I can invest and give uh, this flower that I was growing as much water, attention, love that I can give it. And slowly, if you do that and you're lucky and you're hardworking, that tree ends up you know, being an apple tree and giving you fruit, and then you can eat from that fruit. But in the beginning, it's, it's hardships. It's investment in that plant, in that tree. Yeah, I love that analogy. So, you, I mean, you live in this game. We said that you're based out in New York, so it's not a very cheap place to live. What were some of the sacrifices that that you had to make that you had to cut out when you decided to let's buckle down and and invest all of our energy and capital into into the business? Well, I, for for me, it was sacrifices on all levels. You know, if it means. Um, living with your parents or if it means uh not going out to restaurants or not buying the brand new iphone um to be able to focus on what you do the the truth is it was much easier even though i look back and i see the sacrifices that i made at the time um my passion was to create what i was creating so it was not that i needed anything else the passion fulfilled me the work that I was doing and what I was building and the vision that I had was enough to just make me happy with what I had. 
And I wanted to see this, this thing grow more than I wanted an iPhone, more than I wanted to, let's say, move out of my parents' house or more than I wanted a new car. And that balance makes it either easier or harder. For some people, they want that stuff maybe more and they're not willing to sacrifice the time, the energy, the sweat, the tears, um, and then it doesn't grow. Yeah, I think there's an underlooked aspect of why it's important to pick something that you're passionate in because that means that you don't have to look elsewhere for this fulfillment. You don't have to go and spend money on a on you know fancy vacations or fancy dinners or gadgets for that fulfillment because by devoting your time to in your case, building paper wallet, it was what was allowing you to get that fulfillment and then of course, helping you build your future as well. So was paper wallet the very first business that you dove into when you had that moment where you're like, let's see what I'm worth and essentially get out of the corporate life and to, to dive into starting your own business? So, I mean, no, as an entrepreneur, I look at every single creative um, endeavor, any anything I made, previously. And I, I did everything from selling and importing laser pointers to the CDs that I told you about. Um, there really, there, there's a lot that I've done and before paper wallet, but paper wallet is one of those times where, um, I, I did step out of, uh, the corporate world and I said, let's see what I'm worth. And I dove into it with, uh, with full force. So, it was it was the first time that it was uh, uh, not a side project or not just kind of along the lines. It was the first time that I said, "Let's let's give it one hundred and ten percent and see what happens from it." Would you say that Paper Wallet was one of the the projects back then? Let's call it project when you first started out. Was it one of the projects that you first looked at that was easy to see success, or were there others along the way that you could have pictured success more easily? Success is not in your mind. Success is in the hard work that you put into it. And I'm sure that, and I, 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 I'm always, you know, working on new projects, be it new businesses. I'm a serial entrepreneur and a serial creator, but, um, I, I don't think that I, I started paper Wallet because I saw that success, uh, was easier to achieve. It was, it was, uh, just that I, I liked the product and I thought that the, the product um, had a, a real need in the market. You know, they're, they're, everywhere I was looking, I saw these brown, boring, brown or black wallets being pulled out of people's pockets. They were made of leather, which I didn't like, the, the whole animal skin concept. And um, they're big, they're bulky. It felt to me, in, and this is in 2007, that the whole world was changing. Um, phones were getting uh, smart and thinner and smaller, and this accessory that's been around for you know thousands of years has just had no change whatsoever. And I wanted to spruce that up. I wanted to bring innovation, art, design, um, life to to this product to, that to me looked dead. Yeah, I think I think this is um, something I've heard before too. Where it's like the best products for you to to work on to to bring into life are the ones that you just can't understand why it doesn't exist already. Where it seems to you like this should be a thing that should exist in this world already. There's this antiquated 
uh, again, a wallet that hasn't been changed in so many years, there should be something new, and that's why you focused on it. So wh- why was it that this was the project that you decided, to, let's say, let's dive all into it compared to the other ones that you started in the past that was more of on, on the side? The, the projects that pull me in are the projects that are design-related. I'm really all about um, design and art. And the other projects that I was also considering were also design and art related, but this one was different and it was unique. So not only was uh, the product itself unique um, and a much better alternative to what currently existed, um, it had that element of, of design and art that I would be, that I was able to combine with it that, that really uh, did it for me. Got it. So you you saw that there was a, a something missing in the world. You lots of you know black and boring brown wallets. Like you, you're saying using animal skin. What were the first steps that you that you took to turn your idea into a reality? The very first step was to research materials. Um, I knew that the you know the leather wasn't going to cut it, and I wanted the product to be as thin as light, as slim as possible so that the wallet would be as thin, as light, as slim, as comfortable as possible. And therefore, we, I, 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 I just started researching materials. Another important aspect of the material was I wanted it to be customizable. So I wanted it to be, um, to be able to print on it, design. Um, so we were looking for a, a very durable type of paper. We were writing out to all the paper companies and asking them to send sample swatches. And um, every day we had a new sample swatch come in and we'd take a look at it and we try to rip all the papers and we put them through tests of water resistance and all these things and nothing really cut it until finally one day we received uh, a swatch book from one of the paper companies. And it, I, I tried to open the envelope and I wasn't able to, to, to rip the envelope open. And I tried harder and I still wasn't able to. And then finally I realized that, you know, I didn't really care about the swatch book in the envelope. I cared about what the envelope was made of and the envelope was made out of Tyvek. Um, Then we put that Tyvek envelope through all the stress tests that we were putting this paper swatch samples through and it just passed with flying colors. It was, it was thinner than paper. It was lighter than paper, but it was stronger than leather. And it was just uh, a really amazing moment when it was an aha moment of we found it. And then from that point, there was another whole process of, you know, um, industrial design and product development. How long did this early prototyping process take uh, between the time that you started working on it to the point where you're like, okay, we have a, a basically a prototype that's ready to, and we'll talk about this in a bit, to, to, to go on to um, presenting to the world? The prototyping, just everything from the sampling. The sampling took time because it took time to receive. Everything was like dependent on these companies sending us the samples and all of that. So that itself took uh, a few months. Um, And then once we had the material, uh, we were playing around with the way, the construction, um, how we did that. That was another couple of months. Um, and then from that point on, we just needed to find, uh, someone who would be able to manufacture this for us. So all in all, I would say anywhere between, um, four to six months. 
Got it. So a few months is not not long during this waiting period. You know, looking back on it, but uh, because of the, the the delays essentially between getting waiting for the samples to come in, but I think that that kind of delay sometimes will will slow down the momentum enough for someone for them to start looking elsewhere to do something else. What were you doing at the time to keep yourself kind of focused on making sure that you would be able to carry this project all the way through? Uh, at the time, I was I was still working on the project. At the same, you know, when you build a business, it's not like you don't just build the product. You have this idea in your head of the concept and the long term and the short term and your goals and where you're going to get to. So we were really researching the market. We were doing a lot of uh, researching potential target customers, building a business plan, um, doing everything that I basically was taught in 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 uh, university to to do to get a business ready to plan out the business. Got it. What, what would you say were some of the most important things that you 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 did during that that time that and look back on it gave you the most value in terms of setting the business up for for uh, for the scale that it's able to achieve? I would say the most important thing was focusing on the product itself. It was all that prep work and the business plan and all the stuff that we've done in the time where we were doing also the other things of waiting for the material and creating. The product um, that changes that that's usually um, a plan is something that changes as you go along. But the product itself and being able to focus um, was was uh, a very important uh, part in 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 that very beginning uh, part of the business. Later on, um, the focus went on to the customer because once we actually had the product, it was extremely important for us to get it in front of the customer or potential customer that we thought and see what they said about it, listen to them, understand them, see what was missing, see if, you know, how, how they, they took to the product. Got it. Now, when you were, once that, that, that prototype was done, did you go straight into manufacturing or did you guys go to the crowdfunding route first? No, we started the company in 2007. Crowdfunding was, if I don't think it existed back then, if it did, it was, you know, not anything that anyone was uh, really doing um, like they were do- like they're doing it today or three years ago when we started doing it. Um, it was uh, we had to actually, you know, invest in production, in samples, in taking it to markets, in selling it. So we we had to just mass produce it, and we believed in what we were doing. So we just made that investment and and hit the streets. Right. Did you remember how large the first production run was? The first production run, uh, I think it was a few thousand units. Mm. And were you, where were you, were you, did you have like multiple SKUs of different products or just like, did you focus on one design? Yeah. The, the very first production run, um, we produced, I think it was four colors and it was a completely different product. It was very, at its infancy completely, but it was still a good product. It was, it was just nothing compared to what we have today. Um, yeah. It was four solid color uh, wallets and one with a design that we created, um, but really nothing special. Um, it was, I think, green, black, purple, well, I think maybe white, and some custom design product. Mm-hmm. And where would you say you were selling these, uh, the first thousand? 
the first few thousand, we, we hit the streets. Um, we went to markets, you know, if it's flea markets or just anywhere, because we, we, we didn't have, we were a startup company. We needed to be lean. We wanted to just kind of get these out there. We knew that, you know, we, we made mistakes and we needed to learn from them. The only way to know and to learn was to be introduced to the customer. And that's why we went to like these art markets, these art fairs, design fairs, flea markets, anywhere we can get um, a placement or a booth in front of the end user for for uh, a good price or no price at all. Just just, just give me um, a chance to expose the product. And, and that's where we went, wherever we were able to sell. And we just we that's where we learned um, everything about our product from 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 the customers from the market we we saw how we fit or how we didn't fit into the market what were some of those valu- most valuable learnings that that you got out of talking to your customers face to face especially early on um i mean it, it it's just there's so much um you're, you 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 understand first of all how to present the product right because at the at the very first stage we're trying to sell the product no one's even approaching us so we start to change the way that we're presenting the product until we start to get people to approach. That's the first kind of rule of, of marketing the product that we've learned. I think there's a valuable lesson here. Do you remember how you were presenting the product at first and then what change you made to improve the presentation? Um, with the trade show booths, I, I don't remember. It, it was like a pitch that was, you know, off the top of your head. I don't remember exactly what it was. I just know that we changed so many things until we got. I'll give you one example that I do remember. Uh, at a certain point in when we were actually starting to approach um, B2B clients, we we wrapped the products up really nicely and we went into stores and we tried to get, you know, the, the buyer's attention of the store um and they were just you know just knocking us down they were just saying no i'm sorry buyer's not available or i'm not interested um just kind of you know leave the store Mm -hmm. um and we we tried that so many times we realized basically our approach wasn't good and the approach it was it was uh it was in paris so we were trying to get into these stores the approach was just kind of way too direct so we changed our approach where we pretended not to be you know, the, the owners of paper wallet. And we basically approached the, this, whoever was behind the, the, the register and letting them know that, you know, we're here for fashion week cause it was fashion week that time. And that, that, uh, the designer of this brand paper wallet is, is here and likes the store. Um, would you want to set up a meeting? Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, because we're approaching them from a different way and we're, we're asking for a meeting, Every store, literally stores that said no to us one day, the next day said, yes, sure, please, let's schedule a meeting. We'd love to see your product. So it's really about testing um, and interacting with whoever you're trying to sell to. The, the end user is definitely the most important person that you, you want to test this out with. And seeing, just trying things and seeing what's working and what's not and changing your approach until you see that you're, you're hitting that bullseye. I think that's genius where you're asking for that permission with a good reason. Like, hey, we're here for you know fashion week and you're asking for their permission rather than catching them off guard and coming right at them. People are going to put up their defenses immediately. So I think that's a, it's a great salesmanship uh, approach that, that you took. So do you remember the kind of feedback that you were getting from, from 
the early customers and how you guys are able to implement the, that feedback. Because I think you said you're lean. You guys just produce a thousand units. It must be hard to kind of iterate on there on that, right? Yeah. No, definitely. I remember one 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 of the most important lessons that we had was we were just so blown away by the material Tyvek, which it's this like super smart material that NASA uses on spaceships and. We, we, we loved it, and it's just so strong and so durable that the first way that we try to kind of show people how amazing this paper wallet is is by showing them that the paper it's made of, you can't rip it. And we, we used that in the beginning until we realized, hey, nobody, nobody – first of all, people weren't responding to it well. They were, they were amazed by the material, but it didn't speak to them as a wallet, mm-hmm. and – then we thought about it. No, nobody sells a leather wallet and shows you, hey, look, you can't rip this leather wallet. You should buy it. No, it, that's not something that I care about. I care that it's durable. I care that of its of the product's long longevity. I care that it's water resistant. For example, some of the clients, I remember this one guy who who came, he was amazed by how thin and small and light the wallet was. And he, he bought it from us um, at one of the really early shows. Um he bought one because he wanted to use it as like his jogging wallet. Because when he goes jogging, he likes to just have like some money and maybe a card and as, as thin a wallet as possible. And he's never seen a wallet this thin. So he bought one to try it out. And then uh, at the same exact show, I think it was a week or two weeks later, he came back and he bought five more. Um, he just loved the wallet. So things like that, that those are the things that we learned um, to what's important to the end user and what we should be focusing on and what we shouldn't be focusing on when trying to market to them, when trying to sell them. That, that's a great point where it's what's important to you, what's important to you, the people that are working on the product and, and, and the business. It could be completely different than what's important to to your customers. And uh, that that's great that, that you're able to, to learn that lesson. So once you guys are able to to start selling these in the in these uh, markets in these uh, f- uh, fairs or flea markets, what was next? What was the next step that you decided to take, or, or I guess what was the next step that, that you guys did take to get to to the next level of building the business? Uh, for us, the next level was trying to get into uh, stores, right? Because we wanted to sell in higher quantities. Um, we didn't have a store of our own and that was the way we can do it. Uh, we, we went to Paris where my, one of my friend's father, uh, helped us out and kind of mentored us and showed us he he's in the retail game, showed us how to sell the stores and what, what's important, what's not. And we, we hit the ground running the same as we did when we, you know, tried to sell to the end user only this time trying to to sell higher quantities Mm -hmm. to stores. So once you were able to book these appointments using that uh, that technique we were just talking about, what did buyers the the, the buyers at these stores uh, care about? Uh, they cared for the the types of stores we went to were really high end. Uh, it was design stores, it was museum um, gift shops, um, high end. Um, I guess art design skate. Um, and high-end boutiques, and that's really what where our target was. Even till today, that's that's our target. Um, what was important to them was that the product was quality, that they liked the product, um, and how we pitched it to them. So that was in our control, how much they liked it to a certain extent. Um, 
And then finally, how unique it was. That was that was really an important part here. Is it's it's uh, our products are unique and constantly changing. We're always we're working with you know hundreds of designers all the time, creating um, new collections of really beautiful artwork and designs for new collections and new products that we're working on. That's something I've heard too, where is that you don't want to go approach a store selling a product that's just maybe slightly better than what they already have in their inventory. You want to come at them with something that, that they could add uniquely to, to their store that's going to, to add an, almost a new category to, to their inventory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I've, I've never sold anything to stores except for very unique products. Um, but I can, I can understand why, you know, if they're, if they already have a, a product that's selling well in their store, why would they, you mm -hmm. know, change over to a new product or a new brand? Right. So yeah, let's talk about crowdfunding because this is where you've had a lot of success as well. When did that get introduced into the business? Um, about three years ago, we, we, you know, we created our first Kickstarter campaign, for one of our new collections um, as a way to kind of like launch it and see uh, how the Kickstarter community would respond to the brand, the paper wallet brand, and to the new designs that, that we were working on. Um, it was uh, really a great ride, completely organic. Um, and we connected to, I think it was 3,600 backers, if I remember correctly. Um, and it was just an amazing way to connect to people who are passionate about what you're doing, about your product, are, are, are willing to give you the feedback that you need, be it positive or negative, about your products, about your, 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 your service, about everything, um, your interaction with them, so that you can grow, so that you can improve. And uh, that's, that's invaluable. Business. Right. So I've certainly heard of businesses that have gone to Kickstarter after they've already had successful launches themselves, you know, outside of crowdfunding. You guys are eight years in, I think, uh, if my math is correct, eight years into the business at this point when you decide to go over to Kickstarter. What made you guys choose to go that route to introduce uh, a, new, a new product this time? Um, I guess we're always experimenting. You know, as a business, we're always we're trying to stay ahead of the curve and Kickstarter was fairly new. Uh, we saw, we, we did our, our research. We saw that, you know, not every kind and not every type of product or brand or is going to make it on Kickstarter. We saw and thought that our product was a good fit for the Kickstarter demographic. Um, and that's why we kind of took it on. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. What what kind of products do you think are good fit for? Or what kind of questions should you ask yourself? I guess as a as a, uh, a person that owns a product or wants to bring a product to life, what questions should you ask yourself to see if you would be a good fit for Kickstarter? Um, I mean, you look at Kickstarter's demographic and who they are. They're mostly men. Um, they're they're interested in they're trendsetters. They're interested in gadgets. They're interested in what's new. Um, a lot of design. So because we tick those boxes, it kind of made sense. But for, you know, I do a lot of advising for Kickstarter projects as well. And uh, I see all sorts of entrepreneurs and creators that, that really have beautiful ideas. And, you know, number one thing to do is go on Kickstarter and look at the projects that are associated to what you're doing in one way or another, 
and see how they did. Um, you'll see, you know, if your product or other products that are similar to the product that you're working on um, didn't really do that well on Kickstarter, that that's a really that's a real indicator for uh, your product or what you're doing. At the same time, maybe you're doing it better. Maybe you're doing it different. That shouldn't that shouldn't stop you as a as a creator to try because that's what Kickstarter is all about. Got it. So obviously you have to have a, a product that ticks a lot of those boxes and based on your experience on Kickstarter yourself and in advising, what do you think differentiates a good campaign from a great campaign in terms of the, the marketing side? It's a good question. Um, the product has a lot to do with it um, and you really need to be spot on. You really need to understand, I guess, it's not the product, it's the product market fit, right? If we've been doing Paper Wallet for like, you know, six, seven years before we started um, to jump into crowdfunding and we really were able to mold the product to fit the market. And if you're able to do that before you launch, then you just have a much smoother way, way forward with your marketing, with conversions with uh selling your product can you say more about this the about the product market fit how, how do you mold uh, your product to to fit a market you mold your product to fit a market by listening to the market that's what i've been saying also before you want to listen to your customers take your product to the customer try to sell it to them understand what's important to them what's not important to them and mold your product if there are features in your product that the customer doesn't care about get rid of them there's no re- reason for you to invest in them. If there are features in your in your product, if there if if your customers care about a certain feature, um, that very much so, and you're lacking that in your product, you need to figure out is that important for for us moving forward. If you want to attain those customers, it's important for them. So you you kind of play around with your product um, according to the feedback you're getting from. And uh, many Kickstarters do this. It's, it, there's no reason to have perfect product market fit. Most companies, most, most products don't when they first launch. Kickstarter is about trying. It's not about succeeding. Um, the success will come if you try. Um, and, that's, and so will product market fit. So if you're not sure if your product's ready, Kickstarter is the best place to kind of put it up on Kickstarter and see how the market responds. If you only get you know, a few backers and your project ends up, ends up failing, that's fine. Take those few backers. And now those people passionately care about your product, ask them the questions, see what they say, you know, create a surveys for them, pick up the phone, call them, have a conversation. You'll learn a lot about, you know, what's wrong with your product or what, what maybe there's nothing wrong with your product, but you're just not marketing it right. Maybe it's your, your, your story itself. Um, by doing that, you slowly mold your product to get that product market fit. Mm. So you guys, again, you said 3,600 backers raised almost $84,000. So it definitely broke through your, your goal, had a successful launch. And you said that after the wallets went out to all the backers, all the press mentions stopped, you know, traffic to a new site, which was coming in large waves at first, slow to a trickle, right? This is a successful launch, but then like any successful launch, 
it doesn't last forever without you pushing things along. So you guys knew that in order to survive and keep things rolling, you had to harness the buzz around your brand that was being developed during this campaign to turn into something more sustainable. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, So after the launch happened, what happened before, right before it ended or right after it ended? What did you guys do to try to keep this thing going? Well, we, we've done three Kickstarter campaigns so far and three Indiegogo campaigns. And we were also on um, Japanese, crowd, Japanese crowdfunding sites. That's definitely one one we... we we, we consistently launch products um, on crowdfunding, um, but you're, you're completely right that from the first campaign, it, it, you have that launch, you have the campaign, you have that extra added traffic from the visibility on the crowdfunding sites, and then it dips down. And, you know, we were doing a whole bunch of things. We, weren't, we, we, we never just focus on crowdfunding. We, we focus on, on our website. We focus on... How do we how do we continually improve our website? In the very beginning, we had like an old custom built website that took us a lot of time and energy and all that. We wanted to always automate that because a lot of the time was going into that. We ended up switching to Shopify, which really helped us to kind of you know do what we wanted to do, do what we needed to do, focus on the business, focus on sales, increase um, the productivity of our website. At the same time, we were also doing other things like increasing our B2B and our, our sales to wholesalers and distribution um, worldwide, doing trade shows. Um, we always kept busy jumping from one project to another to make sure that there is, that the business is alive. You don't want it. There are of course going to be dips. You know, the, the life is just one big up and down and business is no different, but you know, you, you want to just keep on trucking. You want to keep on moving from one thing to another and trying things. Certain things are going to fail. Certain things are going to succeed and, uh, stick with what works. That's what we did as well with, uh, with crowdfunding Our every single crowdfunding campaign that we've done from the very first one doubled itself. That's awesome. So can, can you give some examples of things that you were doing again, right after the launch to, to be able to keep the momentum going? What were some things that worked for you guys? After launch, we invest in the campaign as much as we can to get brand awareness. Um, once the campaign is over, you want to really nurture your, your, you, you just, for, for example, our last campaign, we had over, um, 10,000 backers. Those 10,000 backers we wanted to basically take from Kickstarter and have them smoothly transition over to our Shopify, to our website. And we want them to, we basically nurture them through an entire process of um, getting them accustomed to the brand. They just, they just saw us on Kickstarter. They're about to receive our products or some of them already received their, their rewards from Kickstarter um, we make sure that they're happy. We make sure that everything is good with them. We want to bring them to the site, let them know that, you know, being on paper wallet and signing up to the newsletter and following us on Instagram has its incentives because we do give a lot of, you know, we have giveaways and we have huge discounts for, um, our, our followers and our subscribers. And we want to make sure, you know, we're, we're always building that we're always nurturing the people, um, our, our, our uh, list of customers, um, we look at them as as you know our our partners in growing the business. We want to always make sure to give them value, and that's the process after Kickstarter campaign. How do we get 
as many of these backers as possible to understand that they should be coming to paperwallet.com and signing up to the newsletter and following us because we want to give them more. We want to give them more incentive. We're continuing to grow the brand and they helped us with the campaign. We want, we want to help them and we want them to continue to help us push forward. Right. So when I first approached this this question, and I think a lot of people would think that oh, once you are successful on a crowdfunding campaign, you want to keep the buzz going and get more new customers. What you're talking about is work with the existing backers and the customers you already have, nurture them, and develop more relationship with them. Not try to get more more like the main focus is not to get more customers, is to work with the customers, the backers that you already have. So when when you do have a successful launch and it's ended, there's this period of time, right, where they don't have the product yet, but they've already, you know, finished the first kind of uh, transaction essentially with you. What are some things that you want them to, you mentioned that there are, you know, there's an email list that you want them to join on on your store. What are some incentives and, and ways for you to keep them engaged while they're waiting for their product? Well, a lot of them, the, the, the truth is from the Kickstarter campaign before, they even receive their rewards. Um, the one we we incentivize them to join the newsletter. The one that joined the newsletter, we had a huge sale, and many of them even before receiving their products, because we we have such a high um, and we, we have such a high success rate of of happy backers. Excuse me, of happy backers that um, they trusted us enough to even before they received their product go on our website, purchase a product and, and, you know, um, interact with the product before, before the Kickstarter. I got it. So they're buying like a different product that's not being launched on Kickstarter. Got it. Yeah. But that's, that's not, that's not normal. I wouldn't say that that's normal. That's just something that, that some, a small percentage actually did. Um, but in general, just to, to touch back a little bit, uh, we, we're always looking to gain new customers, but our existing customers are so important to us. And for any business, I think uh, it holds true that, you know, holding on to an existing customer is going to be much cheaper and pay off much mm-hmm. more than acquiring a new customer. So you might as well make the most of, of the, the people that have helped you so far build your business because they're the ones that are the most connected, as lo- especially if if you you work hard to make sure that they're happy right so keeping and and getting those repeat purchases from from existing customer base like you're saying is way cheaper than getting a new customer what are some suggestions that you have there on on keeping a customer around and and having them repurchase from you later on like what what are some things that you guys do to 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 encourage that uh, we, first of all, one of the things about paper wad is we're always coming out with new designs. We're always working with new artists. Our products are not just, you know, simple dry products as most are. Um, we, we tell a story of a human being and that is the artist who designed the product. And you're really receiving an artwork here, um, an artwork that you can carry around in your pocket an artwork that, you know, when you go out and you put it on the bar, it's a conversation piece, but it's much more than than just a wallet so we want to be we want to be build as much as possible into the product itself mm-hmm. and i want to talk a little bit about the the website now so you you mentioned that you guys are were previously making a lot of tweaks and now that you're on shopify you're also making changes here and there what are some of the more recent things that you've you've done to the website to 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 improve it um i mean a complete redesign of the website 
Uh, we were always, you know, looking at what's out there. Um, when we're always, you know, researching other sites, we're looking at the tools that are available. Um, we're creating content um, for new products that 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 are coming out. So we're we're constantly on the move. We're never satisfied. I could say with the website, um, we're always tweaking it and changing it and seeing if it's converting better, if it's working, if it's a better flow for user experience, if the pictures do the product justice. Um, it's, it's really a constant uh, struggle that, that we love. You know, we, we, we're, we're very proud of our site and uh, it's the reason why we show it the attention that we do. Hmm. What, what kind of tools or apps do you have on the site or, or just in general to help you run the business? A bunch. I mean, we try, we're, we're really, we're really, uh, we're not fearful of trying new apps and we're contacted a lot by all these apps to test things. And we're, we're all about testing, seeing how it works. It's really easy with Shopify to kind of like install it, take it out. And, uh, we've done that a bunch. Uh, some of the tools that we really stick to, one of them is, uh, privy, which, uh, helps us, you know, with pop-ups, growing our list, uh, improving conversions, um, making sure people stay on the site, exit intent, uh, pop-ups, things like that, that, that I think definitely helps, uh, our bottom line. Um, another one is, uh, product reviews by Shopify that we're just getting into now. Um, we've used other tools in the past. Um, they're so expensive. And uh, what you guys have done is simplify it down to a point where, you know, the re reviews are important. Um, we want our customers to be able to let the, 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 the new guy on our website know what he thought about the product so that it builds trust within this community and uh, product reviews by Shopify. It just, it's, it's something that is a no brainer for us. And we're, we're moving towards that and are excited to, to be uh, using that soon. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time, Elad. So paperwallet.com again is a website. Where, where do you uh, see yourself? Uh, where do you see the business going over the next year? Um, in the next year, we're going to be, we're going to have another, um, crowdfunding campaign, another Kickstarter launch. Um, and we have new products launching as well. We're working with, uh, a whole bunch of new designers and we have a new, uh, concept for PaperWallet where we're doing PaperWallet originals. Um, I can't say too much about that, but, uh, it's basically, uh, more art, more design, limited edition, uh, paper wallet products that are going to be uh, sold in a new way, a new concept of, of kind of how to get them out and how to keep them limited. Got it. So again, everyone out there, check out the show notes for links to everything mentioned on this episode, links to paper wallet and, and any crowdfunding campaigns. And Alad, you'll be able to hop over there too to help answer some questions from listeners. Sure. It'd be my pleasure. Awesome. And uh, where can uh, folks uh, reach you if they, if they have any questions about crowdfunding or want to learn more from you? Um, you have my personal email address. It's Elad, that's E-L-A-D, at paperwallet.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. 
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.